Welcome to the Questionably Qualified Podcast covering Game of Thrones. We're here to cover the second half of Season 6 today. So as always, I am here with uh, my podcast partner, Ryan Maddock. Maddock, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing tonight, Truxus? Doing all right. I know that you uh, you rewatched the second half of the season over the past, whether it was today or over the weekend as well. Uh, what were your initial thoughts? Um, Season 6 was a good season. Th- there was a lot of setup in Season 6 is kind of my now in retrospect reaction to both the first and second half of the season there was you know it was very exciting to watch the first time but kind of knowing where things go and watching the second time you're like oh they were just kind of putting pieces in place do you do you agree with that assessment yeah i would i would say especially in hindsight uh you go back and you notice how much the the season was spent on characters who were nuked or otherwise disposed of at the end of the season so yeah and you really start to realize it in the second half because that's when everyone starts dying and um, right. you realize that nothing matters so it's a good moral to take away from it um so let's go ahead and we'll start with uh season six episode six blood of my blood um we'll start north of the wall here uh the important the important thing that happens here is uh, Mira and Bran still on the run from the, the tree where the three-eyed raven was um, are rescued by a mysterious stranger in a cloak. He reveals himself to be Benjen Stark, who is looking a little worse for the wear. Uh, and that's because he was attacked by White Walkers. And as he was turning, the Children of the Forest saved him using the same method we saw them use to create White Walkers in the first place by plunging a shard of dragonglass into his heart. Yeah, no, I mean, I feel like this was a cool moment for book readers because people had long kind of suspected that Cold Hands in the book was Benjamin Stark, and this kind of confirmed it. You know, at the end of episode five, you're not sure how Bran and Mir are going to escape the uh, zombies and, the, you know, the White Walkers, but something tells you they are, and so it's not that surprising, but it was it, it was a good moment. Yeah, and I also want to give some some big props to Mira for not skipping leg day and being able to haul Bran even that far away from a, a you know a horde of rampaging whites. That's pretty impressive. Also, respect to her for looking back at season five for or episode five for remembering to throw the dragon glass at the White Walker versus all versus all the children of the forest who presumptively had over a thousand years to practice and uh, <laughs> decided to throw grenades at the White Walker instead. It's a little easier to see how they lost that war in the first place, huh? So, you know, it's pouring out to Mira. Uh, <laughs> yep. She remembered the training montage better than, <laughs> better than everyone else. Yep, well done, Mira. Um, other than that, you know, Bran spends most of the time warging. Uh, he drinks some, you know, pretty gnarly-looking cup of rabbit's blood that Benjen gives him. Not sure what the import of that is, but it was certainly gross. It it was gross, and there were some cool, you know, the Warging had some cool moments for the book readers where he's, you know, looking in on the king saying, burn them all, and there's a lot of theories you could gather out of all of that, and on a prediction episode we can run through those, but all in all it was, it didn't really advance the story that much at all. Agreed, agreed. Well, we'll probably, in a preview of the season, we'll probably dig into uh, the visions in each of the frames, but generally speaking, most of it is things that we already know have happened, but we're getting the first glimpse of them. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so we'll move south a little ways. Let's go to the Twins, where Mr. Mister Lord Frey is quite upset, as he usually is, um, and is taking it out on two of his many, many offspring. Um, it turns out the Blackfish has taken River Run back. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure how River Run was lost and then taken back by the blackfish in the show. I don't think that happened in the book. Well, it, it, it's immaterial. 
the Tullys currently have river on, even though they don't have any power or any ability to hold it. So, yes, and Lord Frey's idea here is to go ahead and use the leverage he has in Edmure Tully, uh, who is the Blackfish's nephew, to go ahead and get the castle back. So, he sends his very incompetent sons, who is already berated for incompetence, to accomplish a task. Seems irresponsible, but anyway. Yeah, it's not 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 a good one. Um, the Freys are bad at everything, and that will kind of continue in this season until Indeed. the end, which is wonderful. Yes, it is. Uh, it Horn Hill, which is Samuel Tarley's home, uh, <laughs> we realize that his dad is just as much of a jerk as he always said he was. Yeah, so Randall Tarley, good, uh, widely respected as one of the best battlefield commanders in Westeros, clearly a raging dick that has no ability to understand... Anything outside of Battlefield Command. Yes, he uh, calls Sam fat at the table, uh, gets wind of the fact that Gilly is a wildling, and immediately uh, goes into a very, I don't know if it counts as racist, or a very otherist uh, mode of uh, speaking about her, uh, and orders that Sam leave immediately. The other thing that blew me away... um... You'd think that the head of a major house like that would understand that there are multiple types of intelligence. So I had kind of assumed that when um, Sam went to the wall, his dad maybe hadn't fully considered the idea of sending him to become a maester and all of that. But his dad is clearly upset that his son is becoming a maester and bedded a wild like He's like, I sent you to the wall and I thought you maybe be a man, but you're still a child. And it's like his dad... and. It's like Randall Tarley, who's like supposedly one of the smartest people in all of Westeros, doesn't even understand this like second order of thinking that like maybe yeah we could I you know my second son could have inherited the house but Sam could have been the maester and they could have had this girl. There was yeah. a lot in there that really kind of upset me. <laughs> yeah, it could be beneficial. He's clearly not a books guy. Yeah, no, no. He basically Randall Tarley's a huge dick. Yep, he was worse than I expected. And after that, uh, Sam decides that they're just going to go ahead and leave immediately, and he takes Gilly and the baby uh, to continue on to Old Town, and also steals away with the family sword of House Tarly, one of the few Valyrian steel swords left, named Heartsbane. And we were we were talking about this before, that I think you and I had the, uh, the same initial reaction, which is that when the show first aired, we thought that Sam was kind of being like, I'm the eldest son, screw you, this is my sword, right? Right, yep. But on rewatch, we were like, oh, no, like, on rewatch, he doesn't kind of have that air at all about him. He kind of has this air of, oh, by the way, we do need this sword. Like, he kind of understands that Valyrian swords are one of the few ways to defeat White Walkers. Did you get that same impression? Because that was what I took away from the rewatch. Yes, he's doing it He's doing it very carefully and very matter-of-factly. He's not, you know, nervous and checking around him all, the whole time which I think you would probably do if you were doing it purely out of spite. Um, he is instead just sort of very calmly like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to have to use this later. Yeah, and he certainly doesn't think that he's great with a sword or anything like that. Right. He's just like, oh, yes. this is a good, we need this asset. Yes, he probably has designs to give it to someone who's a better warrior than he is and have them use it to its fullest ex- uh, you know, extent. <laughs> yes. Um, all right, so we'll shift over to King's Landing, where Tommen goes ahead and flips the script on his, uh, well, to him, his mom and his uncle, but to us, his mom and his dad, and sort of a shows up Jamie. Jamie goes to the Sept of Baylor in an attempt to rescue Marjorie Tyrell from her Walk of Atonement, um, and before, you know, he shows up in force, which is, it's kind of a tense moment, actually. I mean, the the 
the reason that the reestablishment of the faith militant, thanks to Cersei, is a big deal is that there, uh, the last time that there was an organized military body of the faith, it was pretty bloody uh, in King's Landing. Yeah, I mean, um, we talked about this last season, but Cersei had given up uh, the monopoly on authorized force, which is, you know, the basis of every government, by allowing the faith militant to have authorized force, basically, being like, you know, if you or I kill someone, that's illegal, but if the government kills someone, it's maybe not illegal. Right. And so Cersei gave that right up, and you were going to kind of have a... It was looking like it was building up to a clash of the two authorized forces, and it looked like Jamie was trying to play his cards, but um, they all got really outplayed by the High Septon, who came out looking like the much more grace, gracious and kind person, and it looks like... You know, he has the advantage and the head up, but as we talked about last uh, episode, all this doesn't matter because everyone's just going to die, and then uh, <laughs> and then we move <laughs> forward. <laughs> Very true. Um, so let's see. Tommen, before the scene ends, Tommen uh, forces Jamie to resign his position on the Kingsguard. That's true. And sends him to River Run as well. So he's going to go there along with the phrase to uh, to clean up that mess. That's true. That's in. There's like two. Ep- Jamie's entire character arc for like two books is summed up in like two episodes. But yes. Yep. Yep. Um, also, Mace Tyrell really bad at speeches. He's just not inspiring at all. I think th- no. there's still the House of Black and White from episode six. Yes, there is. Um, so we'll head over to Essos, and like you said, in Bravos, uh, Arya is again watching the play uh, of what has happened in Westeros. Uh, she, you know, kind of takes a liking to her intended assassination target, which is not really uh, part of her job description. Less than ideal. Yep, and obviously she gets spied on by the Terminator, who is her rival in the House of Black and White. Yes. Um, She goes back to Jacques and Hagar, and he seemingly grants her permission to kill Arya for, you know, sort of disobeying the code of the house. I have to say something. I saw something on the rewatch of this episode that I did not see the way before, and I want to hear your reaction on this. Okay. The waif, that that girl. Yes, the Terminator. The Terminator. She said to Jake in a car, you promised me that I could have her. Mm-hmm. That's the least House of Black and White way to say that ever, right? Like, she's referring yes. to herself as me. She's saying she has the right to kill him. So, like, they don't get this across in the show as much as they do in the books, but, like... That is completely antithetical to the to the House of Black and White, right? Right. She's harboring a personal grudge in this situation. Exactly. I feel like Jake and Agar knew what he was doing by set, by setting those two up, and I feel like her line in that was kind of a precursor to that moment. That's all. I'm I saying. think that's a very good point. I think I think you know between Jacquin's, uh reaction at the the end of the season mm-hmm. uh, and his general vibe of sexy knowing Jesus. I like um, it. I think that you are correct that he definitely, you know, when he's giving that permission, he's not hoping that she's going to successfully kill Arya by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, and other than that, uh, Arya goes ahead and takes Needle out. So that's the first time we've seen Needle since she began her training and enrolled at Assassin Academy. Yep. Then she goes and takes a nap, right? And the episode ends? <laughs> yes, correct. Okay. Um, and also in Essos, Danny gets on Drogon's back and delivers a speech, and the Dothraki are excited. Yeah, so. it's, very, it's very rousing. Yes. I mean, the big takeaway there is that Drogon's been getting big. Yeah. It's super exciting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Much better than Mace Tyrell. That's true. That's the, the lowest bar. 
Yes. Um, all right. So, so with episode six in the books, uh, we'll probably come back at some point and go a little deeper on some of these things. But for now, let's just stick to the recap format. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll jump to episode seven, The Broken Man, the title of which, as always, refers to multiple things, but most, pro- most prominently refers to The Return of the Hound. Love it. Um, I like it, too, because in the books, this has been a long theory that there was a character in the books that was alluded to and people kind of long thought it was the hound. I, I view this as confirmation that, um, I can't remember what they call him in the books, but you know who I'm talking about. Yeah. The grave digger. Yeah. The grave digger. That's what they call him in the books. That's the hound. This is confirmation of that. I Um, I agree. Um, I have to admit, I had no inkling of it whatsoever upon reading the books. No, I I didn't became aware of it through fan theories and I thought, Oh, actually that's, that's very compelling. Yeah. It made a bunch (laughs) of sense, but you just had to like remember that, George R. R. Martin described him as six six in like two different chapters yeah. across three books. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, like, hey, this is this big hulking guy digging graves over here. <laughs> but um, so you see the hound with presumptively who stepped in Mary Bald, who's like building a sept with all these different people, and he's kind of you know having a whole religious awakening where he's saying that he's evil, and Septim Mary Bald um, disagrees, right? Yeah, it's a very nice, uh, you know, sort of new agey vibe they have going on there. And Septon Maribald is, you know, for, kind of forgiving him of his his past actions, saying, you know, it's never too late to uh, to turn the page on that. And now you can dedicate your life to this. You're welcome here. Mm-hmm. But then, um, um, kind of going through our normal progression through the regions, um, north of the wall, not the wall. We have John. Nothing really happened at the wall, right? I mean, John gave a speech to the free folk. And yes. So easily convinces the wildlings to join their cause. Uh, not really surprising. You know, he's got Tormund on his side. Uh, one one, uh, you know, steps up and offers his giant consent, which which seems to help with the rest of the wildlings as well. Um, they visit House Mormont. I mean, it's, it's basically just one big recruiting trip, which, yeah. you know, takes mysteriously little time. Yeah, they're teleporting and throughout also the whole north, but don't. It is never interrupted by Ramsey. Just don't. You know, just yeah. don't. It's easier. Okay. It's easier. If uh, you don't. <laughs> goes to Bear Island, uh, home of Jorah Mormont and House Mormont, um, and we meet probably the the most exciting character addition of this season, uh, Young Lady Mormont. I, I I'm looking at the notes that I've written for this uh, for this episode, and I love the way that they convinced Lady Mormont to join John's army. These are the notes that I have. Because Lady Mormont's very skeptical originally. And then Davos steps up and is like, yeah, I get that you're skeptical, but uh, zombies are coming to kill you. And Lady Mormont's response is like, seriously? And John <laughs> then goes, seriously. And she's like, okay, definitely. I'll join up with you. <laughs> yep, like, I'm in. Like that, she like, pledges all 62 fighters she has. Yeah, she's like, this 60-year-old dude told me zombies are coming, so I'm going <laughs> to. <laughs> so I'm um, in now. But it actually is a really cool scene because she's a badass. It is. She is awesome. Um, and we'll see more from her later being awesome. I feel like they rolled in some of the parts that the book readers like about the Manderleys into Lady Mormont in that scene. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. I think that's highly, highly possible. Next stop is Deepwood Mott, where the Glovers, home of House Glover, uh, they have no desire to ally themselves with the Starks at this point. Which, uh, you know, again, I, I sort of understand the entire realm has sort of been in flux for quite a while now. Nobody's doing particularly well. Uh, at the same time, this is yet another uh, sort of arrow in the target of no one seems to mind that Ramsey murdered his family. I mean, the canon, like, the show just 
broke the canon of like the northern houses and how their alliances are and it's fine they just had to do things in a certain way to make it more dramatic but like it, it i mean it just doesn't make any goddamn sense like right. in the book the deepwood mott like when there's like when they don't think there's any starks left there's still like two dudes like hiding in the swamp shooting poison at the ironborn just because like they're that loyal to the starks Right. They did it because it needed to be a thing, you know? Yep. Um, yep and, and it doesn't end up affecting the outcome, but for those that read the books, to your kind of point, it, it is a little silly, right? Like, th- this is kind of absurd. Yeah, it's just a little puzzling that everyone went over to the Boltons, you would think begrudgingly, um, and despite no instant threat of force, are seemingly aligned with their <laughs> their new rulers. They're uh, murdering your entire family ways. Right, right. Uh, we do get one kind of good uh, interaction here between John and Sansa that I think is important because I've heard some people sort of criticizing John's judgment in terms of marching on Winterfell. Granted, he is outnumbered. I believe two to one is what they say the numbers are. But he he makes you know Sansa sort of begs him to hold off the attack. They need more. They need more troops. Is what she says. Uh, John basically points out they are not going to gain any troops. They've already asked everyone, and so this is the best shot they have. You know what would have been helpful here? I think you might Maybe know what I'm going to say. Like, uh, like if there was an extra army lying around that you had on your If, side? like, Sansa was like, OBT oh, dubs, I know where, like, 5,000 knights are. <laughs> like, I know where 5,000 cavalrymen are that are rested. It's like, oh, you do? Then we win. Then it's over. And hey, we just perfect. get to win. And Sansa was <laughs> like, oh, that's unfortunate. I don't know how to get any more men. <laughs> But she does send a raven. This is this is a moment we had to do this in the recap. We didn't want to get into the books that much in the recap, but yes. For anyone listening, in the books, Sansa and John don't meet up. We don't know this because it's not in the books, but it's pretty much confirmed that they're not going to meet up until Littlefinger's and the Vale's cavalry come into that battle because right. Sansa is with Littlefinger and John is assembling that force kind of at the same time. They combine some stories. So it had to be that John didn't know that force was coming or wouldn't make sense. And Sansa's supposed to be behind that force and that'll be the reunion. I feel like the show could have done it better, but at the same time they just kind of did it the way they did it. Yeah. That does that does make quite a bit of sense, I would say. But uh yeah. It's all it's so, it's so stupid. Yep. She just sacrifices like 3,000 lives <laughs> for no reason. Whoopsie-daisy. Oopsie-doopsie, um, as John Lovett would oopsie say. Oopsie-doopsie. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, moving over to River Run. Uh, Jamie and Braun have arrived at River Run, which, again, I'm, I'm all in on all Jamie and Braun-related activities. Another good you know, buddy, buddy comedy to, to observe there. Um, they try to use Edmer as a hostage. The Blackfish basically says, yeah, I don't believe you. And basically tells Jamie to go piss off, piss into a stiff wind. Yes. Um, yeah, I don't think much really really happened there. Otherwise, we'll get to more River Run uh, next episode, I believe. So There's some fun River Run stuff that happens, but it just doesn't. Not there. Yep, not yet. Um, in King's Landing, the High Sparrow is blah, 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 talking about religion. Marjorie reveals that she's not actually converted, which, you know, big surprise, um, by slipping a piece of paper to her grandma and telling her to head back to Highgarden. Yeah, just general machinations. Nothing matters really here. 
Yes, not too interesting. Um, some good banter between the Queen of Thorns and Cersei, uh, but that's about it. And then the episode ends with some people that supposedly represent the Brotherhood without banners um, murdering uh, the Sept that um, the Hound was working on and all of the people that he had befriended, including yes. who we are calling Sept and Marybald because we're just assuming that's Sept and Marybald. Right, so all of his new friends are dead and um, quietly dead. Yeah. That's surprising that he was he was like 200 yards away and didn't hear any of the murder of 40 people that was happening. One person screamed. They're they're impressively, you know, brave in the face of death. <laughs> it whole bunch of sense. And none of them fought either. But whatever. No. Yeah. In Volantis, uh Theon and Yara are in a brothel. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Pep talk for Theon. Doesn't make a difference. Arya makes some arrangements to sail for Westeros, and unfortunately, the Terminator wave catches up to her and stabs her, and Arya escapes by jumping off a bridge into the canals. Yep, that is cool. Correct. Okay, so uh, episode eight, no one in the Vale. Uh, the Hound goes ahead and follows up on those people who murder his new friends and treats them to the same. Delivers an excellent line to one of them, saying, "You're shit at dying." Which is pretty entertaining. Uh, big fan of that. Big fan of the Hound, you know, vengeance again. And he meets up with Beric Dondarrion and Thoros of Myr at the end. Yep, nothing really exciting there. I mean, it seems like he's going to join their cause and be generally for the good now. But Yes, and there's potential excitement there for book readers, but we'll touch on that later, maybe in the preview for the yeah. next season. Um, in King's Landing, uh, Kyburn informs Cersei that seven members of the Faith Militant, led by Lancel, have requested her presence. That's a poor strategy on their part. It is. So, uh, Cersei has Zombie Mountain on her side. Yep. And he gets sort of unleashed in this case. Uh, he eats somebody's spiked mace right in the gut and doesn't really care. Uh, and then goes ahead and murders a few members of the Faith Militant. I think he gets two before they kind of back away. Yep, I believe that is correct, and uh, the rest of them decide to leave. With point. his favorite way of killing, which is grabbing their head and throwing it against the wall. Yes. The most important takeaway, though, is that this sort of forces Tommen to remove the option of trial by combat from Cersei's arsenal. It doesn't It doesn't necessarily force Tommen, but it makes... It makes the High Septon aware of it, and then he kind of positions it to Tommen. Right. I think right. that Tommen's really that stupid. Yeah, Tommen's real dumb. And in fairness, in the books, he's like six years old, so yeah, I'm not going to not gonna give him too hard of a time. Uh, yeah, but... His favorite thing in the books is a cat called Sir Pounce. So, <laughs> yeah, big fan, yeah, big fan. Let's not, let's not hate. And they do set a trial date for both Loras and Cersei. So this is kind of a big deal because now she can't use trial by combat, which was her plan all along. Tommen announces that as a decree. It, like we don't know that at first, but Tommen announces that as a decree. Right. And given that Cersei is guilty as fuck of lots of things, that's a potentially dangerous situation. Yeah, for her. it's not good for her. We'll we'll circle back to Riverrun at the end here. So let's head over to Essos in the meantime. In Bravos, Arya has found a place to hide with Lady Crane, which doesn't last very long because shortly after she wakes up from uh, recovering from her wounds, Lady Crane is dead at the hands of the Terminator Wave. Yes, but then Arya alerts the Terminator Waif into a dark corridor, shuts yes. off all the lights, and murders her dead. Yeah, once again, uh, gloating does not really pay off uh, in this situation. Terminator Waif has not figured that lesson out. 
Right, yeah. Chasing someone who's bleeding from the stomach and who she seems considerably faster than, she allows her to escape into a darkened place. And then Arya goes to the House of Black and White, looks at uh, Jake and Agar, and it's like, I'm going back to Westeros and my name's Arya Stark. And Jake and Agar kind of gives her a look that's like, yeah, I know you were going to do that. Go murder those people. Yeah, definitely definitely a knowing look once again. Um, in Marine, Varys leaves. Uh, Tyrion encourages Masande and Grey Worm to drink, which is kind of entertaining just because they don't really do that so much. Um, but the joy is short-lived because there's a giant fleet outside uh, sent by the, ma- the slave masters of the uh, bordering cities, and they're getting assaulted. Here's the fun thing. It doesn't matter, because Danny enters at the end of the episode, and we all know how episode 9 begins, so... Yes, They correct. start catapulting the city, and they're all going to die. Yep, boats are not helpful against a dragon. Nope, going to learn that shortly. Yes. Uh, okay, so let's let's talk about River Run, then. Uh, <laughs> Brienne and Pod get there, because Sansa has sent Brienne to ask for the Blackfish's help uh, in the north. The Blackfish is well-known as a battle commander, as a warrior... As a strategist, he deeply loved Sansa's mother, Catelyn, um, in a not creepy way, not not the Littlefinger style of way. In no, in like a, a normal you know, uncle, I like right. you way. Yep, just gotta you know sometimes you gotta clarify in this in this story. It's, a, it's uh, <laughs> it is important. Yep, the Blackfish is like, nah, that's all right. I can't do that. I got to stay here in River Run. It's all really stupid. The I mean, fish. initially that sort of makes sense. If he's gonna hold sense. River Run, it does he's make holding, sense. You know, until he gets outthought by Jamie, and Jamie sends Edmure back to River Run to be the liege lord, knowing that he's holding Edmure's wife and son. So Edmure surrenders, and then the Blackfish is like, "You know what I should do? I'm going to sh- help you guys escape, and then commit suicide." <laughs> I think that's a really productive way to use my life. I'm one of the best battle commanders in Westeros, and my niece has the ability to retake the North and reclaim my family's ancestral home. And you know what I should do, John? Uh, I'm just going to go up the stairs and uh, go out in uh, you know, blaze of glory. It's so stupid. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> anything else about River on there? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, I think it's interesting that they try to use Edmure's son as leverage and wife, given that his wedding night was the Red Wedding, and that was presumably the night he conceived that son, too. In the books, though, it works. Yeah, I don't have any children of my own, and maybe, you know, that's going to change something about me, but I feel like if, if I conceived a child with a woman whose family murdered everyone yeah, in my might. family and everyone in my extended family, I might be like, yeah, that's cool, man. Yeah, that might. <laughs> kind of leave a sour taste in my mouth. Probably probably not going to be your favorite kid. No, but, I mean, Edmure, Edmure gave over the castle and they retook it. And kind of the point here, in the both in the book and in the show, is to show that Jamie is not just an idiot and he kind of knows what he's doing. Yes, yes. He's not, he's not you know, Tywin Tyrion level of, of cunning and planning ahead, but he is intelligent and competent in that way. Yeah, but he can take care of the little hanging fruit, basically. Right. Um, all right. So moving on to season six, episode nine, Battle of the Bastards. Um, Great not episode. Not much really happens here. Let's bunch just go stu- ahead and skip bu- on. <laughs> <laughs> Great episode. Bunch of stupid people in it. <laughs> yes, that's true. So let's let's cover the non uh, non Battle of the Bastards uh, things before we uh, we get that because there's plenty. You want to start at Marine and how Danny doesn't understand how to use dragons and not focus fire on one ship for twenty seconds. 
Yes, so we will go ahead and do that. They, Danny and Tyrion agree to uh, meet with the Masters to discuss terms of surrender. Obviously, flips the script there and says, uh, no, you're going to be surrendering to me, and makes that very clear when she asks Drogon to come join the party. Um, she jumps on Drogon's back. Rhaegal and Viserion uh, choose this very nice dramatic moment to burst out of the pyramid, and the three of them take to the skies uh, to set fire to the majority of the fleet. As you mentioned, they are working in unison and seem to set fire to one ship for quite some time. Um, you know, maybe it's an intimidation tactic or something like that. Yeah, the, I mean, I did notice on rewatch that Tyrion said something like, Thank you, our queen does love ships. So maybe they were trying to intimidate people and gather more ships, but... That could work. That could work. I like that theory. Um, (laughs) More importantly, perhaps, she seems to be able to control all three dragons just fine, which is important because there's been some speculation of, you know, who who are the three dragon riders? You know, we now know that Jon Snow has some Targaryen blood in him, and even though non-Targaryens have ridden dragons in the past, it's not nearly as common. Uh, So the question was, who would be the third? And maybe it just doesn't matter because Danny can go ahead and control all three of them. Mm-hmm. I do think there'll be three riders, though. I do too, uh, and we can yeah, we'll we'll do some speculation podcasts about who the third rider might be. <laughs> You're just assuming John's one, which I enjoy. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> and otherwise, in Marine, Yara and Theon pledged their hundred ships uh, that they stole from the Iron Islands King's Moot while no one was looking. And they go ahead and join up with Danny. Yep. Cool. All right. So let's talk Battle of the Bastards. Um, John meets ahead of time to discuss some some sort of battle solutions. John suggests single combat, which is you know you might as well try. I mean, if you're de- if you're being out number two to one, you might as well, right? Yep. Yep. Ramsey wisely turns him down. Yeah. Good call. No ghost at this this discussion of terms, by the way. Which you know. I'll talk, I talk about it a bit in the drinking game recap, but they really didn't show the direwolves much here in the second half of the season. They don't get how to use direwolves. No. Really they only ran, Rob they did. They ran out of CG budget. Yeah, that's correct. That's actually the answer. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they say that the numbers are somewhere around 6,000 to 3,000 in favor of Ramsey and his army. Um, I forgot about this. There's even a moment where John asks where they might find more men. In order to even the numbers. And Sansa doesn't say anything. And Sansa's like, bro, I don't know. You might just, if you just walked around, you might find 6,000 cavalry men or something. But, you know, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Also, pre, pre the battle. It makes uh, no sense. It makes no, no sense. <laughs> it really. It, and the thing is, like, even if, even if you're thinking, like, well, she just sent the no. Like, maybe she doesn't know. No. If they're even going to be there. That's fine. Wouldn't you at least say, like, there's a possibility that we're going to have 5,000 mounted knights here in a day, so just chill for a sec? Less than no sense. Um, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, Davos, or Davos, discovers the carved stag he gave Shireen and doesn't take too long. Uh, you know, especially for a guy who, who doesn't think very highly of his own intelligence to piece together that Stannis uh, was encouraged by the Lady Melisandre to set fire to Shireen. They really doubled fucking down on that. Yes. Yes, they did. Um, I did not think that would be an important plot point because the book is definitely not going to do that. Right. Yeah, different places. Very difficult to uh, to figure out a way that that would happen. But, um, okay, well played. Yep. And before the battle can fully commence, Ramsay sends Rick and Stark 
out on a run. And Sansa did tell John. So Sansa doesn't tell John. By the way, I have eight thousand cavalrymen. She does tell John. By the way, Ramsay's going to fuck with you. Yep. So maybe this is why Sansa didn't tell John about the eight thousand cavalrymen, because when she told him that Ramsay was going to screw with him, it's not like he altered his behavior in any way. Could be. Could be. So Sansa was like, "Okay, well, you're not going to change right. your strategy, so I might as well just make keep them a surprise." Right. So he sends he sends Rickon out running across the field between the two armies and casually shoots arrows at him, uh, missing regularly until the very last moment as John rides a horse to try to rescue Rickon, and the final arrow plunges through him. Um, Rickon never learned how to backpedal or run no. in diagonals, but he was nine. So like, let's. I guess we can forgive him for that. Yeah. Yep. I do feel like a normal person would have got that question right, though. Like, just yes. turn your, just turn around and you don't die. Right. And they also, uh, they also uh, leave no question as to whether or not he's dead by letting a few extra arrows. Uh, oh yeah, him. no. I do enjoy that they did that. Yes, as do I. Because I was thinking, like, eh, maybe you know, one arrow. People can survive one arrow like wound. Five minutes later, you're like, oh, no, never mind. Oh, no, no, no. Very dead, very dead, very dead. <laughs> um, so John stays out there, draws his sword, because, you know, again, it, people think maybe he's kind of dumb to do this. I'm, I'm firmly in the camp that he's just feeling himself right now. Dude's been resurrected once recently. Um, you know what I wrote for this section uh, in that? my notes? John Snow gains immunity to trample. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Maybe he just knew. Maybe he just yeah. knew that he had immunity to trample. Dude is feeling himself well right now. Um, but no, I mean, your argument does make sense where he's like, well, I wanted to be dead. Like, I was kind of okay <laughs> being dead. And then I was brought back to life just to watch my younger brother get murdered. So, like, like I'm going to stand here and fight. And, like, worst case scenario, I die. And, like, who really gives a fuck at this point? Right, who knows? Maybe I'll wake up again tomorrow. Yeah. No, no, that, that, that's a fair point. Yep. Um, so the armies come together in the middle. Um, things are initially just full chaos. They gradually start shifting in favor of Ramsey's army. And before long, the uh, Stark troops are fully surrounded. And it looks like the end is nigh. But then Sansa and- Stark pulls an army out of her back pocket. She's like, here are 6,000 cavalrymen. Did I not mention them? And the Knights of the Vale, uh, with Sansa and Littlefinger commanding, uh, ride down upon the, the Ramsey-led army and cut it to pieces, which is not surprising because you've got a large amount of force uh, attacking a otherwise distracted force. And and it works. Yes. So that relieves the pressure, obviously. Jon Snow and 1-1 the Giant, uh, I believe Tormund is with them as well, charge into Winterfell. Uh, 1-1 sacrifices himself to break down the large gates, and Jon Snow goes ahead and puts an end to Ramsay's nonsense. Yep, the only note I have for this section is justice porn. Yes, it really was pretty delightful. And I think that sums it up well. And then the episode ends with Sansa sicking dogs on Ramsay. And, you know, there are a bunch of books and there are pieces, other pieces of fiction where a, a character that you presume is bad has something really terrible happen to him. And it kind of makes you reflect like, oh, my God, think about his circumstances and no one deserves to die like that. And, you know, it kind of makes you think about their whole arc. And you have to kind of reflect on them a little more. This isn't one of them. 
No. This no. is one of those where you're just really glad that this dude's getting eaten alive by dogs, right? Yep. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely pumped. Uh, watching the little grin spread across <laughs> Sansa's face is extremely satisfying. Uh, yeah. You're like, you know what, bro? There is a very small percentage of people that deserve to be eaten alive by dogs, but <laughs> you are firmly within that category. You made the cut. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, and so ends the Battle of the Bastards. Uh, Winterfell is once again in the possession of Starks. At this point, we don't know who's going to do it. The episode does end with the with the Bolton banners falling down from Winterfell and the Stark banners being risen, and that's just a very cathartic moment for anyone yes. that's been a yes. fan of the book or the shows. For it really is. I mean, it, it, it's a really it, you kind moment. of forget until you're rewatching how long it's been since the Stark yeah. banner was above Winterfell. It's been a long time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're... Like, yeah, it's. I been think very end good. of season two, maybe they came down. Yeah, when Theon took mid season two, when Theon took it. Yeah, yeah, mid season two. So that's that's a long time uh, for you know one of the oldest houses and maybe the only uh, <laughs> kind of good aligned house at this point. Um, all right, so let's go ahead and move right into the finale, uh, episode ten of season six, "The Winds of Winter." This is a this is a show of setting things up or an episode of setting things up, but yes, yes. absolutely. Um, I love the way that the episode started with the maybe twenty minutes of no no dialogue whatsoever, um, and just a nice overview of King's Landing and Cersei, very patiently, seemingly given that she's about to face trial, uh, looking out her window at the Sept of Baelor. Yeah, I don't know if it was 20... It was like 10, 15 minutes. I don't know if it was a full 20. That could be, yeah. And it was just very, very nice. I yeah, no, no. It. it was very good, and it's kind of building up, and then obviously we all know what's coming. Um, and then, boom. Yeah, you see, you see the little birds stab some people, um, including Lancel, who eventually yep. is crawling to try to put out the flames. And then, as we've been talking to... As we've been saying this whole re- this whole recap... Um, all of the machinations all of a sudden mean nothing because everyone's dead. Right. So in this explosion, um, Kevin Lannister uh, bites the bullet. Marjorie Tyrell bites the bullet, as does uh, Loras Tyrell. Yes. So there is, I believe, Mace is there as well, leaving Olena as the only member of the family still alive. Yeah, but she, I mean, in like line of secession world, she doesn't mean anything. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, there, the one thing I want to do is throw some shade on Lancel here. Uh, you know, again, I, just like I don't have any children, I've never been stabbed. If I saw some flames, you know, making their way towards a large stockpile of wildfire, I think I might be able to move a little faster than he did. Yeah, he was pretty slow. Yeah, just crawling along. Uh, you know, it's not the little bird actually hamstrung him, and he, he wasn't capable of using that his legs. That means that neither of us have ever been stabbed in the stomach before. Right, right. Again, can't, also can't something tells me experience. if I'm chasing a seven-year-old, I don't get stabbed in the stomach. But I digress. <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> member of the faith militant, not not very well trained. <laughs> no one ever accused Lancel of being that good at fighting anybody, True. though. A good point. A good point. <laughs> um, but I but I do generally agree with your conclusions here. Yeah. Um, so we'll come back there because the the episode comes back there eventually, and there will be something to talk about about that. But um, the whole septic Baylor explodes and everyone dies. Yes. Correct. Um, and in addition to these royal targets, by the way, Cersei just exploded a lot of common folk. Mm-hmm. So that that could be important as the as the series goes on. Yeah, we haven't seen that yet, but she did blow up like a whole. <laughs> it's like she whole blew, blew up a whole metro stop of Washington yes. D.C. Yeah, 
Exactly. <laughs> Which um, yeah. I assume so people in, don't like. In Old Town, Sam, Gilly, and Little Sam arrive at the Citadel, uh, and there's a pretty sweet lo- library. That's yeah, that's it. it. Yeah. Sam likes libraries. Pretty cool. Yes. Yes, he does. Um, in Dorn, another inconsequential uh, meeting oh, as Olena cares? Tyrell meets with the Sand Snakes, throws some verbal sass their way, which I enjoy just because, as we've mentioned, we're not huge fans of the, the show's version of the Sand Snakes. And Varys uh, makes an appearance to confirm that he is there as an emissary and that they are uh, working on a partnership with Danny's forces. By episode three of next season, these will just be indiscriminate soldiers in Danny's army. Like, it, th- this doesn't matter. At yep. All. Absolutely. North of the Wall, Benjen leaves Brandon Mira. Uh, he says that he is unable to prevent the, to pass the wall due to spells that are worked into its construction. This is very important to me, um, just because I've been wondering for a long time how exactly the wall is going to come down. Uh, the Knights King and his White Walker friends seem quite powerful, uh, but they don't seem like they'd be as good as climbing as, say, Tormund and John were when they scaled the wall a couple seasons ago. So you have to assume something else happens to allow that threat to materialize south of the wall. Um, that is true. I know you've had the theory that because someone grab because the knights can grab Bran's arm and they could enter the cave, uh, maybe they could pass the wall. Yes. I think there's a fifty-fifty chance that's true. It'll just piss me off because um, it feels like Bran should definitely know that from right you would certainly hope his imparted knowledge yep and there's some other options things like the horn of yaramin things like the passage underneath the night fort that theoretically the knight's king would be familiar with uh but we'll go ahead and you know again we'll leave that for a speculation podcast more importantly for the time being bran wargs again and he's back at the tower of joy where we finally get the reveal ned rushes up the stairs after howland reed has rescued him from arthur dane's badassery and finds his sister Liana on a very bloody bed. Uh, she is demanding promise of Ned that he protect him, and they cut from the protect him to the baby, and then right to Jon Snow. I mean, this is obviously confirmation that Jon Snow is Liana and Rhaegar's son. Right. It's, it's the only thing that makes any sense. I mean, we all knew this, but it's yes. good to get confirmation. Yes, so Jon Snow, half Targaryen, half Stark, in that case, the rightful heir to Winterfell. The rightful heir to Winterfell, and arguably the rightful heir to the whole uh, Seven Kingdoms. <laughs> yes, yes. Depending um, so on yeah. how you define that term, and that term yeah. has no de- proper definition. Yes, exactly. Um, so, speaking of John, he's, you know, they cut to him in Winterfell. Uh, he gets uh, the chance to send Melisandre on her way because Davos explains that she helped, you know, encourage child murder. John's still representing some of those old school values of the North, like anti-children murder. Uh, it's quaint at this point of the season, at this point of the show. <laughs> yes, a minority stance <laughs> sends, sends Melisandre away. Like, oh, you, you fucking old, you Northerners and your, and <laughs> your old ways, you're opposed to child murder and killing your own father, I guess. So old fashioned. Actually, not that opposed to killing their own father, but <laughs> apparently. Sansa apologizes to John for not, not mentioning the army in her pocket. I, In its own way, I wish that the show just didn't even do that. Yeah, it might have been better to just not acknowledge that part. It's like they tried to make it better, but it made it worse. It's like, just, yes. just don't. Just don't. In terms of things that are a long time coming, Littlefinger uh, openly declares his love for Sansa when they're together in the Godswood. Yes. 
Uh, and Sansa's like, nah, man. Yeah, not even a little bit about that. Um, I'll get in this more in the prediction podcast. I firmly expect Sansa to murder the hell out of Littlefinger in the next season. It'd be extremely satisfying. I'm excited to discuss yeah, that possibility with really you. Really excited. I think I think Sansa's going to kill the living shit out of him. Be excellent. John goes ahead and gathers together the Northerners who supported him. And Liana Mormont, again, the young lady Mormont, steps up and uh, basically calls everyone a bunch of nutless wonders and challenges their manhood to declare John king in the north, which, shamed by a young 12-year-old girl, they do. That is, uh, that's pretty much it. Yeah, that was pretty For fabulous. North. Um, so over in Essos, uh, Danny orders Dario to stay behind. He is obviously not too happy since they've been... Uh, you know, romantically entangled for quite some time now. I think he had some some slightly loftier goals in mind, but he does get to be the ruler of Marine for the moment. So, yeah, it, it, he's he is the he he does seem to be the ruler of Marine, right? Like I, I feel like I missed that on the first watch through that like he gets to kind of rule his own city state, which is kind of a big deal. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool. I mean, you know, as far as consolation prizes, not not the worst breakup. Yeah, it's not bad work if you can get it. Yeah, exactly. After that, Danny and her small council, including the newly named Hand of the Queen, Tyrion Lannister, set sail for Westeros. That was a cool scene. It was. Okay, so let's flip back to <laughs> King's Landing for the end of this. <laughs> Cersei wineboards the nun, uh, which, you know, seems like a waste of wine, but... What she does to the nun after wineboarding her is truly messed up. Yes. Yes, it is. So he, she leaves the room, uh, leaves the zombie mountain there with the, the nun that had been tormenting her, and she chants, she, ominously chants, shame, 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 through the, the window. The implication is that the zombie, ma- is that zombie mountain slash Frank and Gregor is going to use her for uh, whatever his desires might be. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be ugly. And then she kills everyone. <laughs> right. Uh, and Tommen uh, takes a plunge. Yep. Cannot fly, turns out. And then she's the only one left alive, so she gets to be queen. <laughs> yes. So uh, she assu- <laughs> climbs herself to the Iron Throne, uh, accepts a crown just in time for her brother Jamie and Bronn to return to a city that is now missing one of its most prominent architectural features uh with a lot of smoke and debris everywhere and cersei sitting on the throne without a child in sight also bt dubs all of jamie's children are dead so jamie is probably going to murder cersei Uh, yes this would be a pretty disturbing visual i imagine (laughs) it's hard to imagine how jamie doesn't murder cersei but we will uh tune into the predictions podcast for that Yes, absolutely. So yeah, that that was sort of wrapping things up in King's Landing, but a little ways north of there, someone reappears in Westeros who hasn't been there for quite some time. And that is no one, or no, now Arya Stark, who murders Walder <laughs> Frey, and it's about damn time. Ah, uh, it's so it's satisfying. Uh, Lord Frey is eating alone with one of the girls who we saw at the feast earlier, serving girls, and as he is inquiring after his son's the serving girl reinforces the idea that his sons are already there. She does. and um, With a little bit of prodding, he lifts up the crust of the pie he's eating, and there is a finger or a toe. Still not sure what it is, but it sends the message. Doesn't matter. You've been eating your children. 
Yep. And I will get more into my kind of theory on this uh, in our prediction episode. But that happens, and a few different things happened this last episode after everyone learns that winter has come, and winter is here, and people that don't, that were not prepared for winter coming are about, it seems they're going to have a really rough time for the next two seasons. Would you say that's a safe estimation? Yes, they've been ominously warning people who do not (laughs) prepare for winter uh, that it is coming and it's going to be a long winter. Yes, so I think... There was a great line by John when um, Sansa said, a white dove has come, and John doesn't say anything, and he says, uh, father always warned us, didn't he? (laughs) Yep, yep. It is pretty great. It's like, winter's here, everybody. Yes. And my preview of the prediction episode is that now that winter is here, enemies of the Starks are in for a lot of trouble. Yes, I believe that is correct. Uh, and I'm very excited for the uh, the premiere. So until then, um, we will come up with some more podcasts. In the meantime, we'll do some speculation. Uh, we'll do some positioning just to get everyone's mind sort of around where everyone is at the start of this next season. But in the meantime, you know, uh, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. We certainly enjoyed rewatching, even if uh, there were some painful moments in it. So until we come out with the next one, uh, thank you for listening. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for joining, Matic. Have a good one, man. Bye. You too. Thank you.